See, it's good that I send them recommendations at 12.30 in the morning. Because then we get that kind of magic. Man. Look, you're going to hear that tune every Sunday in the month of April. So be here. You know, I used to work for a Mormon company, and we had this whole sales pitch that we had to do. And the founder of the company would always add at the end of the sales pitch, this is the good news. Now, we were selling cleaning products. So it was a little bit of an odd correlation. And it always made me a little uncomfortable that he would call that the good news. But I think we do have the good word here on Sunday mornings to remember the truth of life. And that tune, she says, you got to remember that life and death lies in the power of your own tongue. Now, what that means is that it doesn't live in the power of someone else's tongue over you. It means it lives in your tongue. So this message is for you and it's for you to share. Because if it's true for you, then I always believe we have a responsibility to give it away. Because the job of the resurrectors is to wake up the dead. To wake up the sleepwalkers. So there was a woman in the late 1800s that moved to the city of Chicago. Her name was Emma Curtis Hopkins. And she was called the teacher of teachers. She was trained in the tradition of Christian science, but then she felt that the tradition of Christian science was too limiting for her, and she got turned on to the Bhagavad Gita. And that took her down a rabbit hole of study in Eastern tradition that had her really be the, the birther of uh, Ernest Holmes. So I thought we'd start with her statement of good. I'm going to read it. The good I'm seeking is my God. My God is my life. The good I'm seeking is my health. God is my health. The good I'm seeking is my strength. God is my strength. The good I'm seeking is my support. God is my support. The good I'm seeking is my defense. God is my defense. Life is God. Truth is God. Love is God. Substance is God. God is intelligence. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. God is life. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. God is truth. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. God is love. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. God is spirit. Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. Notice how those words all start with the two letters, OM. The word OM comes from ancient Asian traditions. And what was said is that the word OM was used to articulate the concept of God, except the meaning of God that they used was good beyond good. So imagine if you related to this idea of God, we're always uncollapsing the idea of a man in the sky with puppet strings over our lives. We're always uncollapsing that. And imagine if when you use the word God, what you thought of was good beyond good. Good beyond good. So 
The talk title today is Know Your Divine Rights. See, there are your rights in the world of form. There are your rights in the material realm. And we can get really oriented around those things. But the invitation this month is to know your divine rights. To know the governance of your being that transcends this earthly, earthly realm. Because if you know how the creative process works, then you can speak over yourself and encourage yourself, which simply means that the source of your life is not outside of you. It means it's right where you are. So in honor of Emma Curtis Hopkins, who is the teacher of teachers, and in honor of our shared interest, Mr. Kevin Koval, I thought we'd take it to um, KRS-One, who is also known as the teacher. So he, he says, who governs you? Am I going to be governed by man or am I going to be governed by God? If you don't know your divine rights, then the world can do whatever it wants with you. What you call yourself is what you draw to yourself. Give yourself names like king, queen, prophet, teacher, princess, lord, god. So for me, what's true is, and we were talking about this the other day on the phone, and I, I was thinking, like, what, what was it that, that really woke me up when I was exposed to hip-hop? I was a freshman in high school. It was 1993. It was Tribe Called Quest album, Midnight Marauders. And when that album came out, my whole, it, it was literally like neurologically something stirred in me. And um, I think the thing that, that new, the New Thought movement and the hip-hop movement have in common is that they're both a liberation philosophy. Both about giving the power of tongue, the power of the word, to each and every human being. You know, we've talked about before that there was a really clear time in history where it was created that only this one person or only these special people could speak the word. And it has been several hundred years of unwinding that, of untangling that, and saying, speak over yourself. Speak over yourself. Speak over yourself. It's easy to speak over yourself when life is easy. It's not as easy to speak over yourself when someone's talking smack, when someone's talking crazy. But we train in the times of ease so that we are fierce in the times of struggle. So one of my, you know, my middle name is Pfeiffer. So my brother always called me Fife Dog growing up. And uh, one of my favorite lyrics of his is, I never, never let a statue tell me how nice I am. I never let a statue tell me how nice I am. What is a statue? Someone who's standing still. I never let a statue tell me how nice I am. So if you're looking out here, to people who are standing still, may not be growing, may not be moving, may not be changing, but they're the source of your validation, your security, your approval, your control. Woo, that is a broken formula. 
So we come together to affirm the truth of who we are. All right. So um, this whole notion of the new thought philosophy is that God is not some entity outside of myself. You know, this guy, Ernest Holmes, and many of his teachers came together in, in, in sort of a chronology and said, wow, all of the ancient traditions are trying to say the same thing. There's a power and presence for good on the planet, and it's at the source of me. It's at the source of me. So this month, we are looking at the source of our own being to source the truth of life. I know I've said that like 17 times already in different ways, but we can't hear it enough. The source of your own being is right where you are. You are sitting in the seat of a liberation philosophy that says no one's coming to save you. You're the one. You're it. You're it. So Emma Curtis Hopkins goes on to say, we do not need to wait to be free. As God is free now, so we are free now. We do not need to wait to be free. As God is free now, we are free now. So imagine the area of your life that you may be experiencing constriction, that you may be feeling bound that there's contraction, there's a tightness. And this month, breathe into that area of your life and say, I encourage myself. I speak the word over myself. Health is present tense. You know, I was raised in a family that, with all due respect to my mother, was dogmatic in the area of health and wellness. And I used my body as basically a, an activist tool to say, I'm not going to play with you in that way. And I'm not going to have some idea of beauty discern or determine what's beautiful over here. And so I deliberately did not adhere to some of the practices that were steeped in my family because it felt very oppressive. And I turned 39 on Wednesday, and I've been very, very blessed. I've been very blessed with a strong constitution. My body serves me really well, but I'm sort of at that point where it's like, mm, it'd be easier to do something now than at 50. You know? And so... But until I could orient myself around why I was going to make a move in my own physical manifestation, I wasn't willing to do anything. Because if it's out here, because my mom says so, if it's out here because my grandmother says so, if it's out here because a magazine says so, if it's out here because Whole Foods says so, if it's out here because Lululemon says so, I'm not moving. It's got to be right here. So, I got about 40 LBs to drop. So we're calling that 40 less 40. But imagine the sustainability of a choice when it's sourced through you versus sourced out here. A much higher rate of probability. Yeah. 
All right. So I'm going to end with this, and then we're going to transition to this brilliant being named Kevin Koval. You're sitting in the seat of a philosophy that is based on mental science. As I said earlier, we're here to look at the intersectionality of science, religion, and philosophy. So Emma Curtis Hopkins writes, demonstration of mental science means making visible our ideas. We must make visible that there is no evil if the idea is truth. The truth makes free. All I am expected to do to manifest the good that is for me is to tell the truth about what and where good is. Good is God. Thus, the making of good demonstrations will surely come out into our life if we tell the truth about God. What that's really saying is if you tell the truth about you. If you are one with this thing called God, and if you're rigorous in speaking the truth about life as whole and holy, as divine and infinite, and if you speak that truth over and over and over and over, you are speaking of yourself. Your life will shift around you when you are rigorous in your speaking. But it is very easy to get distracted, yes? And we live in a sea of distractions, not the least of which is the city of Chicago. A sea of distractions. But we are of highest service to ourselves and to the world around us when we can affirm and know what's true and what's real and then take action that's in alignment with those statements. So I'm gonna introduce you to this man named Kevin Koval. He uh, grew up in the Chicagoland area. His uh, family, I believe, is Polish and Ukrainian. He um, is a poet and an educator. He is the founder of Louder Than a Bomb Youth Poetry Festival. And what I want to say is we have sort of a, a rock star in the house because he goes here. His name is Victor Musoni. He's on the team that won Louder Than a Bomb this year. Stand up, Victor. So Victor Musoni is with um, a crew called Kumba Lynx. You've seen them perform here before. He's one of our Bodhi teens. They're going to perform later on this month, so we're very grateful for his voice. And I would say that um, just very grateful, Kevin, for the places and spaces that you create in the city of Chicago for young people to own their own narrative. You know, I was thinking, will people get why did we have Kevin Koval come and speak in a time that we're kicking off a series called Encourage Yourself? Well, the reason that it seemed appropriate was, number one, it was the date he was available. And the reason that's perfect is because God is in all things, so there's never an orientation of anything that's wrong or mis mistimed. And what's true is that he creates spaces for people to own their own agency, to own their own narrative, to speak what's true for them. Doesn't have to be true for you. It's what's true for the one with the mic. Yeah? So encourage yourself. This is Kevin Koval with an original piece.
Yeah. Um, it, so good to be here. Uh, if you guys, Bodie Chicago, if you guys are trying to make me cry, it's working. Uh, because, yo, between the band, the squad of singers, uh, Lola, you know, citing KRS and the Tribe Called Quest, like, um, also, Victor is very much a rock star. It's not, you know what I mean? My man crushes. Uh, really grateful to be with y'all today. I guess God is running my Google cow. I guess that's what it is. All right. Um, this is the last poem in this book that's just coming out. There's 77 poems in the book spanning 525 years of Chicago history, and this is kind of a look uh, to the future in some ways. This is a poem called Chicago Has My Heart. Don't ask me to leave. Don't force me to go. When the coasts call, when the rents rise, when the city I know is unrecognizable, it's mine, not alone, not to own. Chicago has my heart. At the lake, on the train, in the first days of spring that remind us why we live here at all. Have bodies, can use them outside the cold restrictions of clothing, the confines of neighborhood. Chicago has my heart, the land I'm most confident. Give me an address, I'll get us there. I know the grid. Blocks got people in these streets, students whose family run the breakfast spot at 79th near Haki, who is still here building temples to black lives, monuments to Mama Gwendolyn. My family is here. My father, six blocks from me in Albany Park, the mayor of the city's broke dreams. He holds them in his growing belly, his breaking heart falling asleep in front of the television, chatting through the night in his taxi. The city with money calls an Uber. He drives new residents to wherever they wish to go. Thank God for the hustle. Thank God for the hustler. Thank God for my father, the kindest, most incompetent businessman here. He doesn't swindle or cheat. He is honest and fair. What a sucker the city makes of sweet men. Like me, I guess. I just want justice and someone to read poems to. To you, Chicago, my heart is all the people who make it, who are making it barely in the 77 hoods. I hate the viaducts, the millionaires who urban planned them from the suburbs they resurrect downtown. Chicago, you have my heart, my whole history, my people you saved seeking refuge here, tucked in apartments in Ukrainian village in North Lawndale. You saved us from history while destroying others. My mother left, my brother moved, my friends gone, too much rent debt. You killed some off. You are a ghost mound. I stalk still. Chicago, you have my heart split in two like the city and stories you tell. But I am one, not two. I am one. Second will not do. You can't continue to break us into two in remade, refurbished, renewed models for the few. Chicago, you have my heart, but my head, my hands, my body with the people who build, who have a limit and can break and tear it down and stop it from becoming what it's becoming. What is it becoming? Chicago has my heart, but the hearts of those who call this home, who root and champion the losers and villains who run this place, who put on for the shitty pizza in Arctic weather. We will turn our backs on the very land we are locked in. We will turn our backs on the capital, wage slaves you've made us become. We will burn your memory and effigy and house dance in the afterglow. We rise, Chicago. This body politic will rise. Our fire will burn again.
Thank you all. So my first question is, why do you wake up at 7.23 every morning? Uh, well, I, I do it to write. Um, I mean, 7.23 is particular just for some neurotic Jew numerology. I'm not really sure. Like, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably got something to do with like the two and three is five and plus seven, 12 try. It's really probably just random. But, okay. Um, <laughs> 23 is Jordan. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I, but I, I do it as ritual to, to wake up and write every day. Yeah. So um, you have these five steps of being an artist. And, you know, a few months ago we did a series uh, called um, The Icarus Deception. And the notion of that, of that series was that all beings are artists. And I thought it would be cool if we just reviewed these five steps of being an artist. Okay, yeah, I'm curious myself. So okay, good. So, Nick, these five steps here. Okay. The site of our lives is ripe for inspiration. Begin creation. Step one. That's, that's dope. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Step two, know your art form. So whatever it is that is, whatever it is that you're doing on the planet, know your form. And be a student of it. Yes. Too, right. I mean, I, I mean, the first one. I, I just want to say the first one. You know, I, I'm in a in a tradition of of incredible Chicago artists. Like I'm very privileged to be uh, a student and a cultural son of Haki Matabuti, whose whose cultural mother uh, was Miss Gwendolyn Brooks. And of course, Miss Brooks talked about telling the stories that are right in front of your nose. And you know, the city is celebrating her centennial year this year. And she talked about finding her material in the street, mm. right? Just looking out in front of you, looking around you, who are your people, where, where is your community, and using that as a site to construct from. And then, yeah, know your art form is like be a student of what it is you want to be great at. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and, and like you're saying, I mean, it's, it's all you have. the Like when I was told, told my moms when I was 19 that I was going to be a hip-hop poet, that was not a thing. And she was like, you are crazy. You know what I mean? Like. Um, but I just studied, you know, without the, you know, formal education, I just studied. You know? Yeah, I love that because what you demonstrate is the ability to take that which you love, become masterful at it and about it, and then have it be your livelihood. And that is possible. It is possible for every being to figure out what it is they love, and then step three, be disciplined about it. See, that's the part we don't always like. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. But, you know, that's why I get up at 723, you know, because I also, I'm in my mind, I mean, because I'm also a hip-hop kid, and so I also have to kind of constantly murder the whack MCs that are around me. You, you feel me? And like... And like, and they come in many forms, you know what I mean? Like the whack MCs are going to test you and you got to, you got to, you know, you got to one up them always, uh -huh. you know? And so you all like, I, like, I know Vic coming from my spot, you know what I mean? So I got to like be like, oh, Vic, man, you nice, but you're not nice as me, dog. You know what I mean? You know? So that's what you have to do, you know? 
And that's actually that was actually one of the ingredients of hip hop culture. I see. I talk about hip hop culture past tense. I know it's alive and well. Well, you live in it. What you yeah, mean? I know, but I live it in my mind. Like, <laughs> we'll be in the car, and I like we had a mirror in the car, and I'm playing, I'm playing something, and I'm like, do you all know what this is? And Trey's like, oh gosh, here she goes. And it's like 92 to 99. I got it. Right. Right. But we're 2017. Very much, very much. Right. And the and I'll say this, and I, I think the cult, I think real rap, the culture has never been better. You I, you said that. I, I saw you say that yeah. on an interview. And so yeah. So for me, I know like maybe for some of like the my generation has like no man, you know the golden era is the golden era. But I'm I'm a rap progressive, you know. So I believe that young people have stayed innovating the form. I mean, hip hop is youth cultural practice at a global level that stays at the vanguard of culture creation. And so to be, understand like what is next, you also have to really shut up and listen to what young people are saying and doing. So what you're saying is that consciousness does in fact evolve. Absolutely. Which is basically the premise of our teaching. Consciousness evolves, it never stays static. And that is true of hip hop consciousness too. Facts. I mean, we're we're about to in uh, you know we're, we're Judaism is about to we're about to get our seder on for the Passover. You know what I mean? And uh, in the seder, one of the illest things that they say is that each generation reveals new freedoms. And so you know the young people stay pushing old heads to be better, you know, and to be more, and to be more open, and to be more just, and more inclusive, and more radical, and more thoughtful. And so you know, to me, I feel like you always have like that's why I, I get ex I get so excited about. Um, you know, hip hop, because I think it represents, you know, that, that progression of consciousness. Yeah, I said to you on the phone the other day, I said, I actually feel like hip hop saved my life. And you said that's true for me, too. Why is that true for you? Well, I mean, I think I would have been, um, you know, I had a tendency to be uh, probably fairly self-destructive in, in a lot of ways. And I think hip hop gave me a discipline. Um, I was very angry as a young person because I started to see, uh, you know, a lot of the fallacies that, that, you know, these statues essentially taught, were trying to teach me. And I was beginning to be politicized by, by some of the books I was reading in part because of hip hop. And I think if I didn't have then this sonic space to dwell in in my headphones, I would have gone crazy. Mm. You know, I would have, because once you realize that, you know, what you've been told is systematically not the truth, uh, then you also, if you don't have a space then to commune with other people in, which I didn't at the time, uh, you know, in hip hop was that solace, was that, was that space for me to even sit with the tribe and KRS and MC Light and Queen Latifah, and they then, you know, verified what it is I was thinking, you know, that made me not crazy, mm. you know? So one of the things you've done with Louder Than a Bomb is you've created intentional spaces for specific voices. I was struck by the fact that you created Louder Than a Bomb Queer. Louder than a bomb. I think it was what was it called? Like hijab or Muslim well, so, women? Yeah. Or? So we yeah. So we have an ongoing program called Curiosity, which is an open mic space for uh, you know folks you know to to come and just be themselves. Uh, this year, for the first time ever, we did a halal if you hear me event, which uh, is for uh, Muslim um, folk. Uh, we also did a louder than a bomba event for uh, you know uh, Spanish Latinx folks, um, and then we we did we also threw a porn party this year um, for the uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, and uh, and yeah, I mean I think I think in this moment um, you know we've always been uh, intent. We, so you know the homie Boogie McLaren, who's a house choreographer uh, and dancer and philosopher who teaches at the Old Town School of Folk Music. Yeah, I just want to pause. Old Town School of Folk Music. Let's get her here. Right. Yeah. No, she's amazing. She should definitely. 
uh, speak here. She talks about House's notion of radical inclusivity. And so being a hip-hop kid in Chicago in our era of coming up, and I'm a little older than you, but that meant that you had to become integrated and hip to house because house in Chicago came before breakbeat culture and hip-hop culture because hip-hop was an import from New York. And so, you know, seeing the spaces that queer, black, and Latinx men created for everybody to get down and jack and move themselves uh, and ultimately open that space to, to every person uh, is what we modeled louder than a bomb off of, was that same notion of radical inclusivity that all voices, you know, from the margins to the center should be heard and should be heard equally. You know, we believe in, in great equi equity as opposed to the grand canyons of inequity that exist in our city. So. so my oldest daughter is 19. She's a freshman at the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music and she's taking a history of hip-hop class, and one of her teachers is Bob Power. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's not fair. So not fair. Um, she didn't know who he was, and then we went on the college tour. I was like, dude, that's right. Bob Power <laughs> yeah. over there? Take that class. And she was like, chill out. <laughs> but um, one of the things is she called me a couple weeks ago, and she was like, did you know that there were a bunch of white people in hip-hop when it formed? I was like, yes. <laughs> You know, that she's tried to give me sort of a hard time. Put, yeah, put you on. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I really do think that, that, that this concept of the new thought philosophy and oneness and hip-hop have a lot of similarities because the origins of hip-hop were based on really peace, love, unity, and joy. Yeah. And yeah. all yeah. were welcome. Yeah. Hip-hop, I mean, we have hip-hop was a party, you know. Yeah. I mean, first, like, I mean, in 1973 when... Uh, Cindy Campbell wanted new gear to go back to school. She employed her younger brother Clive to put on records at the South Bronx Riverdale housing project. And they, you know, they wrote, you know, flyers out on index cards and they handed them out to the neighborhood. And the party initially wasn't jumping because Herc had the West Indian influence and was playing dub records. And Cindy's like, yo, this party is whack. Uh, you need to put on some funk. And he put on James Brown and Parliament. And hip hop was born and it was born to celebrate young people who at that time, especially in the deindustrialized South Bronx, you know, there was a depletion of resources. The city turned its back on those young people, on those communities, and in the midst of that, they created the largest global youth culture in the history of ever. Mm. You know? And so I think I think it is about that celebration and coming together and, you know, turning up. So I don't know how you understand your spiritual orientation or spiritual cosmology, but um one of the things I've always wanted to have spoken about on a Sunday is the tradition of tikkun olam. And I heard you speak about it in a interview. So I would love for you to share with us what does tikkun olam mean to you. And you occur for me like a demonstration of that. Like I, one of the things I love about the Jewish tradition is the moral imperative for social action. Yeah, no, that's deep. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I would say, I mean, I, I for so long resisted even being called Jewish because I was so dissatisfied with how Jews in America assimilated fully into whiteness and that how that affected our politic, um, you know, not only in terms of a, of a rupturing of our uh, allegiance and solidarity during the civil rights movement, but also it essentially made us become rabid Zionists and imperialists when we think about Palestine. And so I wanted to, I wanted to pull back from that. And when I was 16, I wanted to be a Black Panther. And, uh, um, <clears throat> and, and, and what happened is that, is that hip hop not only kind of 
oriented me back towards my own story. But then also I had uh, a, a, the encounter with um, me and my man, Ibu Patel, uh, met the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama, as Ibu and I were trying to break down all like our Buddhist knowledge to the Dalai Lama, he's like, my man, let me stop you right there, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> we were mad young. And he's like, he turned to me and Ibu both. He's like, you should be a good Jew. You should be a good Muslim. And, and that turned us around in 98. And I came back to Judaism really like with new lenses uh, on in order to try to, uh, you know, like uncover and, and, you know, sit through my own, my own history, my own narrative, which is what I think all people need to do. Um, and white people maybe more than others. But uh, for me, you know, what that meant is that, you know, discovering these notions of tikkun olam and some of the rich spiritual practices in, in Judaism is that this notion of repairing the world or making the whole holy and trying to understand that the world is fractured and it's our job to piece together in this kind of uh, infinite oneness uh, and connection and, and, and try to repair the world, that the world has been broke and that it's our job to make, to build bridges essentially, you know. So, you know, when, when in the tune, encourage yourself when, when, when they sing about, you know, evil has created separation. The way that we understand evil in this tradition is the, the false and limiting beliefs. You know, not like some little red, red man running around, but like, you know, the world of false beliefs, this idea of separation that we've been, been sort of seduced by the notion that we're actually separate when in fact we're, we're infinitely connected. And how can we come together and acknowledge our unique and beautiful differences and still connect in the spirit of oneness. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, I mean, like the myth of multiculturalism, right, is that we're all one, and actually we should just honor this radical diverseness, this mm. radical diversity, and also, like, account for history. I mean, hip-hop may be a student of the record, right? I had, you had to dig into the record in order to find the fresh bits to remix in order to also bring the past with you, which is also some not only African but also Jewish diasporic notion, right? And, and so that became very influential in my own practice. And for a long time, you might know this quote, like when KRS uh, on his self-titled record says something about like, um, they be saying want to while we be saying wanna, and I misheard it when I was younger, and I, heard, I, I, I read it as like, they be saying one, two, and we be saying one. Mm. And so even, even that notion where, you know, so much of our society is about that divisiveness, is about, you know, that, that keeping working people from one another, the breaking us into these segregated separate neighborhoods in order for us to not congeal into a powerful base of working people to uproot and overturn what is happening at a, at a larger level. And so that kind of divisiveness, I think, is... is uh, you know, overturned in a lot of ways in, in house and hip hop cultural practice. So you're someone who I would say has been a provocateur. Like you, you, you actually have gotten, you've gotten pushback from all sides of humanity, right? For, for the white community or perhaps the Jewish community. It's like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. And in perhaps communities of color, it's like, look, this is ours, you know? When all that's swirling around, there's a voice in you that has to speak what's true for you. How do you stay oriented to what's true for you in the midst of all kinds of voices that tell, are telling you you shouldn't be doing what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I'm going to listen to that song more. You guys have a record, by the way? I want, it's I'm, about I'm to come it. out, okay, May yeah, 7th. Right. Really, that's dope, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what's up. I can't wait for that. Um, I, I, yeah, I think you have to you have to root yourself in your own practice, you know. You and and I think um, my mentor 
you know, Haki talks about the, the, you know, the, you have to do the work, you know, and you have to sit down to do your work and you have to root yourself in that prospect, in that discipline. And I know, I know what my work is, you know? And so in some ways, like, you know, you like, uh, Quell, who's a Chicago MC is like, you know, I'm dope. I was there when I wrote this, you know what I mean? And like, so you also have to have that, that, you know, belief and confidence that what you're doing is just what you're doing, you know? And there are a lot of people who might not necessarily understand it and that's cool. Um, you know, my hope ultimately is that, you know, this is a call and response culture. And so my, my job is to move the crowd and, and I'm trying to build a, a different and a, a new kind of cultural space in the city that looks like the city, um, you know, that, that looks like this, this audience. And, um, you know, that work is not always easy, uh, mm. but, it, but it's essential. I know that. So when you start to pursue that which you believe in, that which you love, that which you know is authentic and true to you, just because there are voices that say you shouldn't be doing what you're doing doesn't mean you should listen to them. That's what I yeah. hear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, and, and the haters are going to hate, you know, that's what that they that's that's why they're employed as haters, mm -hmm. you know, like that's their that's their gig. And so, you know, you also have to, like, account for that, that people are going to people are going to do that. And that's what they do, mm -hmm. you know, and then you also have to, like, be, you know, you have to root in yourself. So, mm. so um, wrap it up with two things. Yeah. One is um, we have we hear Chance the Rapper in our house pretty regularly. And um, part of my new commitment is to get myself together with 2017. And so I asked my son what his favorite Chance lyric was. And he said um, his piece in Ultralight Beam that was put out by Kanye West. And so I was listening to that to, you know, get myself together for this. And uh, he says in there, he says, this is my part, nobody else speak. This is my part. Nobody else speak. This little light of mine, glory be to God. And I love that idea of this is my part. Nobody else speak. Imagine saying that to yourself each and every day. This is my part. Nobody else speak. Whatever this is, move. This is my part. So, you know, I know he wrote the foreword of your new book, and I've sort of been stalking you the last couple of weeks, because I know we've been Thank in you space. That. You're welcome. It's not we, weird at all. We've been, I, I know, it's not weird. See you in the morning. I'm like, Actually, I stalk hey, a lot of people. It is it's a little good. weird. Right. Um, but I know we've been in probably the same spaces for 30 years yeah. and not really known each other. Yeah, and, um, you know, you said something in one of the interviews. You said he came to you as a freshman, and his rhymes weren't really that good. And you're like, sorry, dude. And then he came to you as a sophomore and they were a little better. And then he came to you as a junior and you were like, okay. And so I, I, I appreciated hearing that because it's easy for us to see those who are really doing it out in the world and not be related to all of the discipline, all of the work. We want stuff so fast today, but the shiny exterior is only one aspect of the being. When you get to that point, when Mark, I mean, Marcus is always posting his practice sessions on Instagram. And I appreciate that because actually what it shows is he's working. It takes a discipline. And that is what, what really, 
it has taken for someone like Chance the Rapper to be who he is. Yes? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they say that it's like 10 years to become an overnight success, right? And, um, and, and if you, you, in some ways, you could even mark it to the day where, you know, when, when Chance wins a Grammy, it's after 10 years of uh, dedicating his life to carve out space to be a creator. Um, and, and that goes unseen. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, see him on the Grammys, they're like, oh, this young man is so nice, you know, and like, he loves God and Jesus, and like, I gotta get his record, and it's like, people in Chicago have been listening to him for, for 10 years, and he's been putting on for the city for that long, and, and I think the, the bit about, I mean, and I see this, I mean, I see this with Victor, I see this with young, thousands of young people across the city, is that, you know, there's a drive and a will and a discipline, and it is self-motivated, but it also is encouraged in the context of a, of a new community that is forming where young people are taking the tools of democratized technology and new culture and creating a, a you know, they're, they're traversing the boundaries that have kept them se separated and segregated for so long in order to have this moment to create this renaissance in the city mm -hmm. that is in some ways counter to the dominant narratives that, you know, the Tribune to, you know, 45 will, will weave about the city. You know, young people are countering that narrative and have been for a long time. Um, that takes discipline, that takes courage, that takes a belief in oneself. And, and as much as like the, the joint about him speaking is true, I also think Chance and, and a lot of the young people are also incredible listeners, mm. you know, because as much as they are speaking, they're, I think, even doing more listening and, and geopolitical assessing of the world and worlds around them in really profound ways. Mm. So no matter the circumstance or condition that we find ourselves in, you know, I love that. I love your work just because, you know, it, it really bugs me when people talk crazy about Chicago. And honestly, we should be more vigilant about how we talk about our city. Because the way that you speak of our city, it brings it into existence. There is power in your tongue. So do you honor that power? Do you speak the city up? Or do you buy in to the crazy nonsense that says this city is broken, some, something's wrong with it. What's wrong with those people? So, Kevin Koval, thank you for your work. Thank you for your contribution to the city. We are very, very grateful for you. Thank you all, man. I appreciate it. So let's take a deep breath. We're going to speak a quick prayer about all of this. So recognizing that there is a divine and holy presence. It is the life of God. It is the life of spirit. It is the power and presence of freedom, of unity, of truth, of love, of wholeness. It is who I am. It is what I am. I am one with this infinite power and presence. I am one with this divine and holy life. As this is true for me, I know that this is true for every single one of us in this room and for all beings on the planet, that there is a divine presence coursing through all things. So I know and affirm this day that whatever is getting in the way of any one of us from stepping boldly and wholly and brightly and bravely onto the scene of our lives, that that moves over and that the word of life is spoken demonstrably in us this day that we may leave this space this day raised up 
with a high idea of who we are and whose we are, that we may know and affirm the God of our being is right here and right now. I'm very grateful for this, very grateful for this word, very grateful for this knowing. I release this word here and now, knowing it is done, and so it is. And so it 